Hi guys, and welcome back to Honest Theology, a podcast where we get to ask real questions about a real God and a real faith. Today we're concluding our series on the Trinity, rounding it all off with the Holy Spirit. I think everyone should know the abundant life of God. I've never had my mum go like, hey, do you mind turning that water into some Ibina for the last? <laughs> Is that the same as the angel of the Lord in Exodus? I'm Paul Serstad with Dr. Hugh Osgood. Let's be honest. Hey, Hugh. Hi, Paul. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm oh, doing okay. all right. Thanks. Pretty good. So we've had you've had a you've enjoyed the series so far. Yeah. I sh- Talking about you have thrown questions at me that I just didn't expect to come. Well, they and just cropped up. I know they do, and you've had warning, and I have none. <laughs> you, well, I mean, you, you, you like you like the spontaneity. Though, I don't do you? like the spontaneity. Yeah. yeah. So you're happy so far with what you've said, what you've taught on the the Trinity, the Father and the Son. Yeah, I think <laughs> I am. <laughs> Can't remember all. That, <laughs> yeah, don't think you've caught me out too often. No, 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 I can't. Can't claim that. Today I'm going to get you to say I don't know. Let's try. I'm going to go. I know that's your aim, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to go for. I'm going to go for three strikes, and then I'm just going to go. You're out. Oh wow! But we'll carry on if we do that. All right. So we're. we're, um, This is the final part of our uh, four-part series on a Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit. So first question is, who or what is the Holy Spirit? Well, let's go with who, because the way the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit definitely is a person more than an influence it's got its own he's got his own character and it's normally conveyed in exactly that same way with a male personal pronoun which i know we've discussed before do you find it difficult though because you you did it then just by accident didn't i because like even when writing i i always like i always have to stop myself and go oh come back to he and even when we go filled with holy spirit it it, it always sounds like an it thing Why, why is that yeah that's a good point but, yeah, I must admit that you caught me out on that one because I'm normally really careful about that. <laughs> yes, straight in there. <laughs> you did it, you did it, yes. No, I just think you've got to stick to what the Bible says. And mm. it's really clear that we're talking about a person and so we use a pronoun rather than just it, you know, a personal pronoun. So, yeah, so we have to stick with what the Bible says on that one. Yeah, what, what about the other name for the Holy Spirit, which often comes up as the, uh, the Holy Ghost? I always say it like that because that's always how I hear it. The Holy Ghost. Yeah, well, why, why it's exactly that? the same. It's just different terminology, isn't it, from a different era. So going back to the times of King James, that's how it would have been seen. Mm, but ghost is pretty yeah. synonymous with dead. Well, it is now, but it wasn't then. It wasn't then. No. Okay, so then it was yeah, the it was same spirit, as... Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. All right. All right, so because we've been talking about all three, I, th- I think it's fair to mention that the Holy Spirit always gets mentioned last. And I reckon he feels a little bit, you know, left out about that. Because we always say Father, <laughs> Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, it's like tacking on to the end. Why, why is he always last? Do you think he really minds? I don't know. I think after a few millennia, I'd be like, <laughs> come on, guys, just for once. Yeah, but the, the whole heart of the Holy Spirit is to make the Father and the Son known. So I'm sure he doesn't object. That's in okay, his character, so, isn't it? So the Holy Spirit is to kind of point people to Jesus and Jesus is to point people to the Father. Yes. Oh. 
again, no one's pointing to the Holy Spirit. He's just there on his own. Like, oh, man. Not anything. Jesus points to the Holy Spirit, spends the whole of the... He doesn't. He leaves him here. He goes like, I'll see you later. You can do the work no, down know, here. But, I mean, in terms, of, <laughs> in terms of the way Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in the upper room, it's just amazing. Obviously, yeah. he's talking about an intimate relationship that he's had with the Holy Spirit and now wants us to have with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so um, the Holy Spirit is this... Uh, I don't, we seem to interact with him, especially today, um, a little bit like the Force in Star Wars, right? Because I'm going to go nerdy here. So in Star Wars, like they kind of go, the Force is all around us. It's what makes everything live and everything breathe and da-da-da-da-da, which sounds very, very much akin to the Holy Spirit. So do you think that's where Star Wars got it from? Um, no. You think uh, it's where the Bible got it from? You absolutely. think the Bible got it from Star Listen, Wars? Listen, Star Wars begins with a long time ago. <laughs> it doesn't. It's that far back. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. But is there, is there some similarity there? Is that it? Because I know there's danger in linking these things, but is there some... You know, I think if, if, you're, if you're writing a script and you want to indicate in some way that there's a power that can influence people's lives, then what Star Wars has done is talk about the Force Actually, when you come to the Bible, it's talking about the real power that influences people's lives. So you're getting a much clearer understanding of the Bible than you would in Star Wars. Right, okay. So it's not all that useful. To, not really. To link it. Oh, okay. I just found it a little bit like... That's probably because I like Star Wars too much. Um, there's also this... this uh, the, the translation of Holy Spirit being... Um, Ruach, which is uh, breath, yeah. right, or wind, mm -hmm. or you know those mm -hmm. those. What, 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 what understanding should we bring from that today? Because we, because he's mentioned as the ruach, the breath. Doesn't that? It gives you the impression of a, a disembodiment, doesn't it? Really, because you know one of the, the the challenges that we have when you're looking at the very fact that Jesus says, you know, God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and truth. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking at the character of God and it's where we struggle in terms of terminology. So as soon as you start talking about the Holy Spirit as wind, as breath, and start looking at that kind of imagery, very often we do a sort of reductionist approach and bring it down to, well, that's just what it is, almost back with just an influence kind of thing. Mm. Whereas there's much more about the Holy Spirit in terms of who he is as a person. And so when Jesus is teaching in that upper room, he's talking about another comforter, and the way he uses another really means like unto myself. Uh -huh. So they, they were used to dealing with Jesus as a personality, yeah. and they were being told that the Holy Spirit is being given as one like unto Jesus. So they yeah, would have had yeah, that yeah. understanding more than just the influence. Because oftentimes he's uh, referred to in the New Testament as the Spirit of Jesus as well. Mm. Paul refers to him as that. Yeah. Um, so there is that like another there as well. Well, and also that brings in the fact again, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit has this uh, assignment really to bring Jesus and, and mm. the Father to us. So when it talks, again, Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying that, you know, the Father and the Son will come and make their home with us, it's the Holy Spirit that's going to implement that transformation too. So is the Holy Spirit what gives us life? Is that, is it the animating force? Because when we talk about it being breath, about mm -hmm. sorry, him being breath, mm -hmm. so we do it all the time, yeah, don't we? Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, is that... It, is it the life-giving breath that we have? Is that the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yes, it is. And I also think that the, the whole concept of animating force, though, 
um, we, we can struggle with that because there's a sense in which you look at everyone out there and in this wide world of ours, everyone has life, everyone has mm. breath. But what we're really talking about when the Holy Spirit comes to a person's life is to bring a level of life that goes beyond just that which is physical breath and that which is represented. So when you're talking about the force, when you were looking at Star Wars and the force be with mm. you and everything mm. else, the, the conditions on which the force is with you are very different from those in which we might say the Holy Spirit is with you because the Holy Spirit is coming to bring the presence of God the Father, God the Son into our lives. And so there's a, an intimacy of relationship there. So when we're talking about you know, the influence in the world and people having the breath of God and, and that's their life, it's only part of the picture because when the Holy Spirit comes and deals with people at an intimate level, yeah. there's more of his life and more of his power that he brings. So we, we don't want to limit the Holy Spirit to just being some kind of life-giving force that uh, touches everybody yeah there's something very specific there's something quite unique really about the giving of the holy spirit because when when god gives his son to the world he's very much to the world and you see what the world does to to jesus he cru crucifies him but then when you're talking about the holy spirit he talks about giving the holy spirit to those who obey him giving the mm. holy spirit to those who hunger and thirst giving the holy spirit to those who believe so there's a sense in which giving the holy spirit is something quite specific into people's lives and it's almost as if god wants to uh, give the holy spirit in a special and particular way to people who are coming into a relationship with God themselves. Seems to be a repeat of, um, I think, Gen Genesis 2, um, where God breathes his ruach into Adam's nostrils, yeah. and it gives him that, you know, yes. that's what brings him to life. And that yeah. is very much the direct spirit of God. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so w when they fell, sure. is that what, because, you know, part of them died that day, or, 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 you know, on that day you will die, it says. Is that the presence of the Holy Spirit leaving them? It's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, you've got the situation in which they didn't physically die. Mm. So when you're looking at that Bible passage, you can see that there is a sense in which when life was given in the first instance and, and people came alive, it was because the Holy Spirit breathed into them. Now, they continued with that physical life albeit shortened so yeah. that death came in, in a way that they didn't continue with their spiritual life because there seems to be something about in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And there's no doubt that there was something that happened, a shift from innocence to guilt, um, something that made them want to hide from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden, which seems to me to be a break in the communion mm. between God and that first humanity that took place at that particular point. So there are two things to bear in mind. Number one, that yes, there was a loss of life. So there was, to some extent, not that same level of awareness of the presence and, and fullness of the Holy Spirit. But also the fact that we've got that sense that there's more life because the tree of life was there in the garden of eden mm -hmm. and so it's like god always wants to give us more and and so when we're talking about the holy spirit coming to a believer it's about god bringing his life in a way that goes far beyond that which we've known in just our natural existence yeah 
I want to just go back to the it's where we first see the Holy Spirit mentioned, which is you know sure. Genesis one in the beginning, God you know created the heavens and the earth, talks about the world formless of that void, and uh, on the waters the Spirit of God hovered over it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the our first picture of the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. What was His role in creation? I just love the fact that the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. It's like part of the whole sense in which the Holy Spirit's presence. Um, I just love that sense that, that if, if you said to me, what's the biggest thing about the Holy Spirit? I'd want to say it's the presence of God. He brings the presence of God into every situation. And that's exactly what was happening in creation. I think as he was hovering on the face of the deep, that was like the presence of God covering everything. Mm. So the Father is like overall, and the word is spoken into the midst, but there's that covering work of the Holy Spirit that's there hovering on the deep, making sure that that which is spoken is applied and, and brought into being. I think it's a very powerful picture of what the Holy th- Spirit does. And do you think he stays there over that time in Garden of Eden, the Holy Spirit is just there? That's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we move in our understanding from a sense of that hovering over the, the waters. I'm sure that, that the Holy Spirit was there in that sense. but Because there's the, a direct communion with God, with, with mankind. Yeah, now that, that's that interesting Genesis because, part. you know, a, a lot of people would feel that that, that was probably some way in which, which uh, the triune God took physical presence in mm. their midst and walked with them in the garden I don't know what that would have been like. Um, yeah. it's, it's difficult to see, isn't it? We, we, we have these opportunities to, to sort of anthropomorphize and give God yeah. a, a human form. And that's one of those areas where it seems to come into play, that when God's walking with them, you almost get the impression that... Um, I always like to think he walked between them, because otherwise you've got saying, you know, he's, he's walking next to... to to the man and the woman saying yeah (laughs) what's he saying you know and i like the fact that that you know in in all our relationships i think god being in the midst and i think god being in the midst in the garden and that communication is good too so in in the old testament without going into the new testament okay we see we see there there are moments where the holy spirit um comes you know upon people he fills people with with the holy spirit uh, you see with uh, Bezalel to create his um, the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. the King David, mm-hmm. King Saul. Um, but there's a very definite come and go uh, yeah. with with the Spirit of God. And that's really why I asked, is it, does, you know, after the fall, did he leave? Yeah. Is, is, is that whether it got broken at some point? What, why is there this come and go mentality? Is it because that's all that was able to happen? Even with the prophets, mm. he was with the prophets as well. Mm. I think we come back to the fact that really God's ultimate plan of redemption is that we have his life within us. And that life coming within us is dependent upon the sacrifice that Christ is going to make for us. So there's a sort of chronology here Mm. of redemption. We've talked before about God choosing to work within time. And so even though Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and it's known from the beginning that the Spirit is the one who's going to bring all of the fullness of what Christ has done into our lives, we've still got in the Old Testament the fact that we're not yet at that point. Even in the New Testament, and I know you said stay in the Old, Um, but even when you you get into the New Testament, you've got the situation where John says the Holy Spirit has not yet been given. So this idea of the Holy Spirit being given in order to remain is really important and the first person with where you really find that is when 
John the Baptist is told that in order to identify Jesus, he'll be the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. I mean, Hugh, you've just completely ignored everything I said. So I've jumped just, miles just ahead going, of you. Just going to the New Testament. Like, that's well, sorry, all you've, you've just gone, I don't do this. And you've been like, fwack, I'm just going to talk. Exactly. You're just a child who said, I can't have the cookies. I'm going to have the cookies. Well, yes, that's right. There's something. Why does the Holy Spirit come and go really? just on the people in the Old Testament? Why is it just like a fleeting thing for an act? Well, I think you've got to bring in what we were talking about because until there is that moment where Christ has brought people into a place where we can receive new life in him, then it is going to be a transient experience of the Holy Spirit. So is it just to fulfill an objective that wouldn't be able to be done humanly? To some extent, you have to see it in that particular light. So if it's bringing a prophetic word, then the Spirit of God will come upon people in order to bring that prophetic word. If it's David in worship, it's mm -hmm. the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him to bring that worship forth. I actually think that some of these Old Testament saints had an incredibly rela close relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, mm. you know, the, the coming and going wasn't sort of the total absence that you might have seen in some cases. I think with Saul... You get that point where in his rebellion, the Holy Spirit is, is, has left him. The Spirit of God has left him. But there's a sense in, in, in other people's lives where, where they're, they're, you know, you just know they're walking with God. But there are times when the Spirit of God comes upon them powerfully so that they can, like Bezalel, fulfill those responsibilities of creativity. That sounds David with worship. very similar to today, though. Do you think so? Yeah, we oh. walk with God. We are filled, but there are moments, and I, I, I don't, there are definitely moments for me, where you're really empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something. Mm -hmm. That's not 24-7. I'm not, like, walking around constantly, like... Yeah, I, I can understand what you mean. I think the baseline's a lot higher. Okay. <laughs> I think that the reality of the Holy Spirit indwelling us and, and the continuing sense of the Holy Spirit being with us is definitely more... Uh, when you're looking at New Testament realities and when you're looking at the Old Testament. There's something about what God has done for us in Christ mm. that actually opens a way for the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives in a different way. Is that, you know, the, um, you know the tabernacle and the, uh, the temple mm -hmm. uh, when, because you, you have the Holy of Holies and that's where, sure. um, am I right, that's where God's presence is? Yeah. That's where he, like... Chose to presence himself, yeah. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that the Holy Spirit there then? Well, whenever you're talking about the presence of God, you can't exclude the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it is, it is God present through his spirit. But, you know, you wouldn't be able to go into that situation and say, oh, where's the Father? Where's the Son? Because there's a no, sense I know, of their today presence we, being there. No, I know, but today we say, why I'm doing it, because I'm making the link of going, uh, we are we're today, we are now the temples of God. Sure. Right? And we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Sure. We are not filled with the Father, are we? We can't, you can't say that because that's not doesn't say that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I know in the, they are the same. But yeah, there is that point where Jesus talks about the Father and I will come and make our abode in you to come and live in you. So you have to be a little bit careful about that because does it? In, yeah, it does oh. because the Father and Son indwell us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Hugh, we're finally at your favourite bit. The, the New, New Testament. Testament. <laughs> <laughs> um, New Testament. Uh, I want to go just b before we actually see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
we see the Holy Spirit at work. Um, Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead, mm -hmm. right? It says the Holy Spirit did. Mm -hmm. um, so wh why, why did Jesus need the Holy Spirit to do so when he is? Isn't God. it interesting? Because actually he does talk about, I lay my life down and I take it up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when, <laughs> but then when the account is, yes, it's it's, definitely it is the Holy, the, Spirit. the Holy Spirit. Yeah, who the Father has raised up. Yeah, this is a joint exercise. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but yeah. The Was power. Jesus incapacitated? Oh, no, that's a very difficult one, isn't it? Ooh. Is that an I don't know? <laughs> it's, um, no, it's too big to discuss. I think that's what I'm saying. You're going to go, nothing's too big to discuss. You're going to pin yeah, me down I could, on it, but that's you? more on the topic of Jesus, and we've done that one already. So was Jesus incapacitated? Did he need the help of the Spirit, and did he need the help of the Father? Do you know, throughout his life, Jesus said, I only see the things that the Father does. So there's a whole relationship issue here where you can't really talk about any person in the Trinity being incapacitated because there's such a close relationship that the capacity in one will always be there in another. So it's it's difficult to describe. Yeah, but, but I dead can't... is pretty incapacitated, isn't it? Well, yes, but, you know, preaching to the spirits that are departed and you've got those kind of things there. Uh, there's some powerful stuff even in those three days when yeah. Jesus was in the tomb, which is difficult to look into. But we've talked about Jesus. So was was he only able to perform miracles through the Holy Spirit? Well, why would he do it otherwise? What do you mean, why? Well, what, you know, if, if you've got this unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's only doing what he sees the Father does. Yeah, why would sorry, he not you don't be see him perform. We don't hear about him perform miracles before the baptism, mm -hmm. right? And that's when the Spirit of God is poured upon him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's when we see the three, uh, you know, uh, persons of the Trinity at the same time it's like oh wow but we don't see him perform any miracles before then mm -hmm. um, is he, is he, was he able to perform miracles before then because I'll give you mine I don't think I don't think he was because he had set aside his um, uh, uh, right to be equal with God as mm -hmm. it says in his Philippians right um, so he was living waiting for that Holy Spirit to enable him to do things, to demonstrate how we would be able to do it. Yeah, now I want to be cautious at this point because I know what a lot of people then do. They talk about Jesus being incapacitated until the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Yeah. And then they extrapolate from that. And then they start saying, and it's exactly the same when the Holy Spirit comes upon us because then we become anointed. And the reality is Jesus didn't need the Holy Spirit to come upon him to be the anointed one. He is the anointed one. Yes. And in many ways, what we're seeing when the Holy Spirit comes upon him is confirmation of who he is. And so to me, it's, it's obedience. Yeah, it's, it's not so much that, mm. hey, he didn't, he didn't have the capacity to do anything. He, he talked about my hour has not yet come. So he was very conscious of that. And even when he moves into the miraculous at Cana of Galilee, his initial reaction when his mother's saying to him, turn the water to wine, do something, he's saying, woman, my hour has not yet come. Also, that suggests that he's been doing things before. 
No, I don't see it suggesting he's know. been doing things I've before. I've never had my mum go like, hey, do you mind turning that water into some Ribena for the lads? <laughs> never. Only if I've done that before would she be like, go on, Paul, do it again. You just need the Ribena bottle and tip it in and it does it fine. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but has he, I mean, don't you think that suggests that he's been... No, I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I think that, that, that Mary knew that her son was the son of God. I think she knew that. And so she always had that expectation. So that was she Jesus like throughout, was able to do throughout life, miraculous. was she always like, Jesus, please, just turn your, turn your brother James into a rabbit just for today. <laughs> like, he's been really naughty. Is that, is that what she's been, you know? I'm, I'm getting that sense now from Mary. You're getting that, that sense from me. She, she just keeps on like asking for things like, oh, we're really struggling, Jesus. Can we, can we, you know? I, I'm sure that she was chosen because of her patience and her wisdom rather than her persistence and her pestering. So, yeah, so I don't think she would have been. Otherwise, she would have been the foundation of the prosperity gospel. Wouldn't she? <laughs> the ultimate nagging mum, you know. <laughs> This has got to happen. That's got to happen. Yeah. Yeah. She invented the prayer list. Can I have A, B, C, D? <laughs> and here you are, son. Yes. Please. <laughs> now, please. Now. Bye, bye tomorrow. But she was aware. I know she was aware that even when you look at what happened when Jesus was 12 years old in, in the temple, you know, she, she was aware that there were things that were going on. But she also knew that the, in the sense that the time hadn't come because she, she takes him back home and, and brings him up just as the other children in the household yeah. and, and expects him to submit into that situation. So, so I think you've got this interesting thing that, 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 yes, Jesus has laid aside power. He's laid aside so much. But he's also got this sense that my hour will come. And so when he gets to that moment, he steps forward into the Jordan to be baptized by John to fulfill mm. all righteousness. You then see the Spirit of God descend upon him, which yeah. is a confirmation to John that he is the one. It's also a confirmation to us that this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. But I don't want to talk too much about his incompleteness or a detachment. No, from I the think Holy it's Spirit really useful that. looking at it as an obedience of even the didn't, you know, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God and not all that. Yeah. Being in obedience of going, I'm not doing that. I'm, you know. And I'm, there's this public demonstration. And there's yeah, also the I father think that's speaks. really helpful. So the father speaks and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in some ways, you're very much now back with, as it were, we've had the creation and now we're having the recreation. Here is the son. The spirit of God is hovering over him. The father's speaking into the situation. Now we're moving into a whole new phase of redemptive history. Yeah. Um, Jesus breathes on people mm -hmm. a fair bit. How many times do you think he did? Uh, he breathes on his disciples. Doesn't he breathe on Lazarus? No, he calls, no, Lazarus, he calls Lazarus out. He breathes, he he breathes, breathes on, on his people. disciples after the resurrection, doesn't he? Yeah. And he says, receive, receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Why? <laughs> that's really a, that's such a good one. Um, because because he, he tells them to wait for this uh, yeah, sure. uh, ascent, uh, after his rarely mentioned ascension. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which we all know happened. <laughs> it happened. Just, you know, talk about it a bit more, guys. Um, yeah. Why, why, so why did he say it there? It's interesting because I agree with you that, that when he's talking about the Holy Spirit is not yet given and, and, you know, to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think there was some impartation. I can't get away from that. Some people oh. say that, oh, this was just a, a way of showing them that, you know, this is how the breath will come. 
that I'm breathing on you now, but this is just a foretaste of what will happen. There's going to be a rushing mighty wind like the breath of God that's going to fill you and transform you. But I, I just got this sense that when, when Jesus breathed on them, it was, it was an empowering in some form. I don't think that it's the fullness of Pentecost, but whether it was just an equipping to see them through the the, the, ten days. the, 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 the period of, of 40 days leading up to the 10 days. Of, oh, he did it right after his resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So it's, mm. a, it's, it's an interesting one. And I, I, I'm not going to give you an exact answer on that because I... Because the, the, you no, because the temp No, because no. the temptation... The strike temp one? <laughs> yeah, I know. You want to strike <laughs> one. And the temptation is to sort of bolt things down very tightly in yeah. a way that you yeah. end up producing something that, that, that could be a formula when in fact we're talking something much more relational. See, God, God gives his son because he, he loves the world. Uh -huh. And here is Jesus, who's, who's been with these disciples, who loves these disciples, and he knows that the Father's heart is to give them the Holy Spirit. So, so breathing on them is not an empty gesture. It's actually an expression of his heart. He's just longing for them to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And uh, we're, later in, in our next part, we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we're just going to kind of jump that for a little bit. Sure. And just look at when, be good. when the Holy Spirit is around. Yeah. Um, is it the Holy Spirit that kills Anais and Sapphira? What's, what's her name again? Sapphira. Sapphira, yeah. It was uh, their sin, actually, wasn't it? Well, their it. sin didn't kill them. Well, it caused it. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, they dropped down dead. Mm, mm. What, I mean, is that the Holy Spirit? Because he says you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. And then, and then she comes in, she lies and... That's right. And if it is, is that the same as the angel of the Lord in Exodus? Wow, there's a lot of connections there. God is capable of exercising just judgment. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. We're all going to face the judgment seat of Christ. What you've got is an extraordinary situation there with Ananias and Sapphira in the early days of the church, when in order to, to, to maintain the purity of the church in its beginning, this drastic action is taken against two people in that kind of way. Mm. The challenge of how we interpret that is that it, it's pretty unique. You mm. know, we can't sort of necessarily go like back it. into the Old Testament yeah. and say, oh, that's just like that particular situation. These are two people who'd, who'd come into the church, obviously had experienced something of the power of God, and then acted in a way which was trying to deceive the Holy Spirit and everyone else. Mm. And so you get this moment where that judgment comes upon them. Yeah, in a sense... <laughs> because they'd 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 grieve the Holy Spirit to that kind of level, you could even say that they'd they they they'd lost the right to continue as as spiritually alive beings, and you know you could you could have waited till the end of time for that judgment, but that judgment is exercised on them right there. Wow. Okay. So it's bringing forward the inevitable in their case, unfortunately. Yeah. And the uh, another role of the Holy Spirit is, uh, I've, I've heard it said a lot, is, is to convict. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit convicts. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Does that mean we shouldn't? 
So I've heard a lot of the time the father's, you know, God's job is to um, uh, judge. Mm-hmm. Our job is to love and the Holy Spirit is to convict. There's a lot of flaws in that. There's there of, are, but, there's, but there's also a lot of truth in that. Sure. What, what, what do you say on that? Well, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And the reality is that one of the things that really does concern me when we're trying to bring conviction into people's lives mm. is that the manner in which we do it sometimes doesn't allow room for the Holy Spirit because we're, we're taking a particular line with someone which can be extremely judgmental. Mm-hmm. And, and in many ways, you know, it's not so much that we're trying to do the Holy Spirit's job for him. Sometimes it seems like the church is trying to do the, the enemy's job. I mean, the enemy is the one who condemns. And there's a big difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation that the devil brings. Mm. See, the, the devil will point out your mistakes. But when the devil points out your mistakes, he doesn't offer you any hope. Right. When the Holy Spirit comes and points out your mistakes, immediately he's pointing you to the blood of Jesus, he's pointing you to forgiveness and all the rest of it. So the question is, when it comes to our responsibility, Mm. you know, the only basis on which I would want to convict someone or try and bring them to a point where I've pointed out their faults is if I'm also bringing hope into that situation as well. Otherwise, I'm not doing the Holy Spirit's work, I'm just doing the enemy's work, just bringing condemnation. Yeah. And a lot of Christians that are living under condemnation. Yeah. And we need to set them free from that because when the Holy Spirit convicts, he brings hope. So, yeah, we we can bring conviction. We can do that, but we need to do it in the same spirit as the Holy Spirit would do it. I think that it was great when, when, when Paul dealt with that situation in Cyprus, in the home of Sergius Paulus, that he was filled with the Spirit before he spoke into that situation to bring that conviction to the magician Elymas that that he was living in darkness, basically. So there there needs to be that partnership. It's not for us to just march out there and just kind of tell the world where they've got it all wrong. Okay. Because let's leave room for the Holy Spirit to to do the same. Absolutely. All right, uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. So um, let's kick it off. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay. It means that God puts his love, his life, his power in us through the Holy Spirit. The fact that it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit suggests that this is part of the abundance that God wants to bring When Jesus was talking about giving us life, he talked about giving us life in all of its abundance. And I think that the whole issue of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a reminder that that's what God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to be living half-empty lives. He wants us to be knowing that fullness of the Holy Spirit. So it's really having an awareness of his power, his presence, his love, his grace, all of that operating in our lives. So could you talk a little bit about when you were first filled with the Holy Spirit? Sure. What, what was that like? What happened? What, what, yeah. Well, I know for a lot of people that when they're born again, they know an incredible work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And, and I certainly did. I, I knew that things had changed. Is born again when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? I would say that when you're born again, that's when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Cool. And there was no doubt that that had happened. There'd been a real change in my life. 
Um, but, you know, one of the things I, I, I was finding as a young Christian, 18-year-old, was I just wanted I just wanted more of God. And, yeah, it was great. I was in the kind of church where it was like, sit down, young man, don't expect too much, you know. In fact, I was told that coming into the kingdom of God was rather like crossing a border on the continent that you don't actually notice that there's been much change for a while and then gradually okay. the scenery shifts. And, and I was dissatisfied with that. Yeah. I thought, no, it must be more than that. And and so I, I felt there was a sort of dumbing down of what of my expectations. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and, and so much uh, put back onto me in terms of now you're a Christian, this is expected of you, and now you're a Christian, that is expected of you. Even, you know, to the point in evangelism. So this is even after you've been filled? No, this was, this was as, as a young man born again, really. And so knowing is a, something of the Holy Spirit in my life. But, but Is there I, a difference then between being saved, being born again, and being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, certainly in my case there were issues that okay. I had to face. And so if I'm telling my story, I have to tell it as it was. It isn't like that for everyone. You know, there are some people who, who just seem to get it and, yeah, and okay. they're, they're, they're running with it straight from the beginning. But I, I guess I was in an environment where that wasn't expected. So even my initial enthusiasm and everything else was sort of just... Quelled. Young man, quelled, yeah. just put it down there, you know. And, and, and yet, you know, it was as if the, the, the measure of the Holy Spirit that I'd received was such that he constantly was saying, you know, there must be more than this. Mm. And I know I was a little bit of a pain because, you know, I was saying to everyone, there must be more than this, there must be more than this. And, and in the end, that, that sort of hunger was, was really strong on the inside of me. And, and I, I started looking at those scriptures about he gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And I was thinking, you know, there are things in my life that I haven't really lined up. Um, you know, I've been really reluctant to get get baptized in water because I thought, well, you know, what does that mean? Um, and so I started trying to line my life up because I noticed that that, that uh, in the upper room when the disciples were waiting for the Holy Spirit, they obviously did everything they could to line their lives up with Scripture. Yeah. And yeah. even though I, I yeah. could say that, yeah, so much has changed in me. I knew that I was a new creation in Christ. But I, I just also needed to, to know to know more of God. So there was a real hunger in my heart. And, and you know, I'm, I'm looking back quite a number of years now, quite a few decades really on this. And, and at that time, there was a real caution about people who talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. It was almost like, just don't go near those people. They could oh, lead okay. you astray. They could, could do all of that. So that's changed. A lot of the, the culture of the church has changed. But it was great when, when I eventually sort of realized that, that God wanted to flood my heart with his love and his grace. And, and it, I, I could see the journey that God had been taking, taking me on to bring me to that point where, where I just wanted more of him. And, and it was just amazing. But I know that's not how everyone experiences it. But for me, yeah, there was very definitely a moment when even though I'd been born again, I knew what it was to be filled with the Spirit in a way that I hadn't been previously. And was that similar to the accounts that we read of in Pentecost? Yeah, it was for me. It was. It was, it was. it was very much like that. You say for me because you don't think that that is a unanimous blanket for everyone. I think everyone should know the abundant life of God. Mm -hmm. I think we should preach that. I think if we preach that and preach that, 
then we wouldn't end up with so many of these two-phase experiences where someone said, well, I was born again, but then I needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think if we really preach the abundant life of God, people would have that hunger in them from the beginning. They'd have that expectation in the beginning. They'd be reaching out for God in that kind of way. And and we'd see more of that in people's lives. I love that you say, you keep on talking about when you say filled with the Holy Spirit, you talk about the abundant life. You talk about that fullness. Um, whereas certainly in a lot of church traditions that I've been a part of or I am a part of, uh, what seems to be unanimous with filled with the Holy Spirit is to speak in tongues. Um, and if, like, that is the, the the proof that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, it's like, mm, are you really? <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Um, yeah, speaking in tongues is important in my life too. Um, I remember being at that point just days really before I really knew what it was to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that I just really wanted to worship God. I I, I was in an Anglican church at the time, so I knew a lot of Anglican liturgy, and I was sort of praying that and all the rest of it. And I just, just so wanted to communicate my heart to God so much more. And I just felt the limitations of language. So for me, speaking in tongues wasn't anything to do with sort of evidence of being filled with the Spirit. It was actually the overflow of my heart in worship once yeah. I had been filled with the Spirit. It was, it was that kind of experience. It was, you know, when, when I knew that I was filled with the Spirit, um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to worship God. I just wanted but is to that the proof? Him. Is that like, if you, if you don't speak in tongues, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Because there's that bit that Paul writes yeah, saying I, that, you know, you should want that, but you should go for prophecy more. You should want that gift more than speaking in tongues, which makes me think. But then he also talks about the greatest of all these things is love. And that's in the same kind of context. Yeah, absolutely. But it, 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 does, it does seem to, he splits them out going, not everyone has everything. Well, that's true. Because when there's it comes a body to of the Christ. Gifts, but yeah, when it comes to the gifts, there's a sense in which we are interdependent. Um, you know, Paul says he spoke in tongues more than us all, but he didn't seem to do that in a worship setting. Yeah. Um, so and there are people- what I'm asking is: is that does it does that mean that oh, the, the the filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily equal always at all points speaking in tongues? I would go in that direction because I think there are instances in the New Testament where it is evident that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely evident. And so there must have been some kind of acknowledgement that something has happened. But whether we reduce it to sort of speaking in tongues is a concern to me. Yeah. Because I think that really what's more important than being able to speak in tongues is to know that the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. To know that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is there. If tongues is the overflow of something that God is working in you. If you look at the day of Pentecost itself, when they spilled out on the streets, speaking out the mighty works of God, some people heard them in the language of Judea. So in other words, for some people that were listening, they were hearing people praising God in their own language. language. Yeah. And so it's, it's the transformation that really is the witness to me. I want to see people's lives transformed by the Holy Spirit. 
I want to see more of his love in our lives, more of his grace, more of his goodness, more of his gifts. Of course, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to worship God from the depths of our hearts, if we're going to pray effectively, yeah. we're going to intercede, we, 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 we need the, that, that ability to speak in other languages. But it's not the be-all and the end-all. Because there the, there's a lot of the time at, at big gatherings, um, often at conferences, you see it a lot at youth conferences, um, there are there's the what they call the Holy Spirit night, mm-hmm. where they invite people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's a very that's great. Y- yeah, but but also at the same time, do you not see psychologically that it that also looks a bit like mass hysteria? I mean, that's what critics say. Yeah, that's what yeah, people yeah, say. I and, know. and well, yeah. It's tricky. I went to one a meeting like that where we'd all sort of been brought there because we were going to hear this great message on being filled with the Spirit. And the person who preached, a good friend of mine actually now, he preached on giving yourself a living sacrifice on the altar. And I sat there and I was with friends who'd taken me to this meeting in order to get me filled with the Holy Spirit because they were fed up me going on about when am I going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and when it came to the appeal... And he said, no, I want you to stand up if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I was so stubborn, I just sat in my seat. I thought, ma, not on that basis. And it was that which really, in the end, God used to break me, to say, look, you are so arrogant, you wouldn't even respond in the meeting. Years later, when the same person was preaching at a youth conference, and I was there as one of the other speakers, and he did the same appeal, I just got so convicted when he said, you've got to stand up and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought I was such a rebellious person so many years ago. I actually stood up. And the look of shock on his face when he looked around and saw me standing up and thought, hold on a minute, you're leading a Pentecostal church and you're standing up for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But really it was an act of repentance from that sort of way that I'd been in the past. So I think these evenings are great, but I think that, yeah, if we're getting into mass hysteria, that's not what we need. Because I think, I mean, I've been caught up with it before in in these in some churches especially when i was church hopping about um but for me it was this this night of a one of these holy spirit nights and i had been i'd just been complaining to this other guy saying i think these are a bit ridiculous because i i and i still hold this conviction of i don't like the fact of there's this uh, whole, you're not filled if you're not speaking in tongues, mm. you're not this and that, that. Because especially for young believers, it, more often than not, it gets them demoralized. Than so anything. what did you do? Well, I was stubborn like you, and I was, I was on the keys, so I was just playing. Um, and I was just watching this, you know, whole mass hysteria thing going on. Obviously not. But, and then <laughs> one of the youth pastors came up to me, grabbed me on the shoulders, like, are you full of the Holy Spirit? And I always say yes to this, and I just went, No. <laughs> And he just started, he just said these few lines to me about um, how, you know, good gifts of the Father or whatever and all better. And suddenly, like, I just erupted, like my mouth just began speaking. Yes. And I, I, I was speaking in tongues for a good at least 40 minutes and just seeing visions and seeing things of like the throne room and seeing, you know, back there. And it was just I, like, I said one English word when the pianist, an alternative pianist says, like, what key are you in? I just was like speaking in tongues. I just went D and just <laughs> carried on. But it was, it was involuntary. And that really kind of put me in my place. But at the same time, I was like, that was really 
the Holy Spirit. Like, and I, I can see the difference of times when I just try and do something and, and when it's like, oh no, my spirit is crying out for that. And, that, and even with that experience, that's the difference that I can see in these things. I go, are you being taken with mass hysteria of just joining the crowds? Or have you just been thwacked really mightily by, by God? And I think, do, do you know what I mean? There, there's, a, there's a bit of a... I know exactly what you mean. It's like, you know, it's a mirror image, really, of yeah. where I was myself in this. I think that's, that's some of the, I don't know, that's some of the dangers for me um, with those nights. Yeah. Because you go away and you go, if you haven't had one of those real experiences, you go away going, Do you know, Ooh. very often when I've been sort of moving down a prayer line or something like that, and I've sensed that it's just got that level of intensity. I've just sometimes whispered to the person, look, just go home and be quiet on your own. And then let God do what he wants to do in your mm. life. And then, you know, that, that, that's precious when people come back and say, oh, wow. it all yeah. happened. That, yeah. I mean, that, and I don't know why that's, yeah. And I think if people have a, have a especially whoever's leading has got a, a willingness to do something like that, that it's not for the event. Mm. You know, look at me, I've got the Holy Ghost yeah. power and people are falling over themselves. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's really great. Um, yeah. That is good. <laughs> it is good, it is good. Well, um, okay, so about m more on these, on these uh, Holy Spirit convictions and, and the gifts. And uh, there are certain people, we talked about Star Wars, and the force and you know how in star wars there are like the keepers of the force like the jedi and mm. the and the sith and all that they're like professional force wielders and there seems to be in today's everyone thinks you're making this big assumption that i know about star wars you do uh let's not <laughs> lie um today there seems to be professional holy spirit wielders uh-huh who do these events quite a lot and charge quite a lot for it. Um, <laughs> charge for it. Yeah, and so what? what is that about? Because that seems... It sounds like it's about money to me. Well, yeah, because today's fashion of people seeing, you know, glory or extreme versions of seeking Holy Spirit stuff and fire tunnels, it's sensationalist. They, they, they try and create that atmosphere what 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 do you say about these professional holy spirit the, the, the huge healing ministries um that are very much more it seems to be about the show otherwise you wouldn't televise it all, all hmm. the time it's amazing how god graciously uses the show <laughs> i've been in some of those places and god has done incredible things and yeah. i felt like saying i didn't think you were here god <laughs> and there he is but those but some of those. But it doesn't have to be like that. No, and, and I, of course, God God operates in His grace, so it, it's he, he comes through in those times as well. But for those people, do they not seem? Some of them seem like a modern day Anais and Sapphira, who are people in ministry lying about money, lying about how they do things. Well. And being very successful. Well, we talked earlier about the uniqueness of that Ananias and Sapphira situation. And yeah, I sometimes wonder what would happen if we were still in that moment where the immediacy of sinning against the Holy Spirit was mm. expressed in that way. 
we're at a time when God's really gracious and uh, there are things that happen which I sometimes I just think how can that be um, yeah it's difficult it's difficult isn't it to to speak into these things and be judgmental but I would love to see the church adopt a different spirit mm. on these kind of things what, I, what kind of spirit is that well, I see more to adopt the Holy Spirit, really. <laughs> more of His character, more of His grace. Um, yeah, there's, such a, there's something about the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. I know He comes as fire. I know He comes as wind. But there's also that sense that He's like the oil. He's the anointing. He's the presence. And we need to see more of that. Um, I believe that the Holy Spirit has come to manifest Jesus in us. And yet, the way that a lot of people speak, it almost as if the Holy Spirit has been given to release more of their personality, more of their gifts, more of their charisma. And I just want to get away from that. I just want to see see more of Jesus, really. Mm. Kind of heard it said that we, um, we don't hype him up. He comes down. Is that a... I think that's great. I really do think that's good. But... Not, not, not to say that we don't praise and celebrate him. No, that's good. And um, I don't want to give the impression that we're trying to dial everything down into a dullness because it can be incredibly exciting being in a place where God is moving. And sometimes even when he's moving in power, despite someone who's you know, uh, pushing themselves forward, it's still great just to see God move. But the role of the Holy Spirit today, mm-hmm. his actual purpose... Is, is what? Well, there is a role for the Holy Spirit in the world of convincing the sin, the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And I think that's why when we're trying to convict people, we need to be aware that the Holy Spirit is also at work. But there's a particular work of the Holy Spirit in people who are seeking God, who've given their lives to him, who've been prepared to lay their lives down on that altar and say, I want to be a living sacrifice for Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think then the Holy Spirit is bringing his divine energy and his divine grace and his divine power and his divine love into our lives. And we need to see more and more of that in the world today. We need to see a church that's living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. My, my only thing with it is we, we seem to be very much in a, in a place where the gifts of the Holy Spirit offer self-gain, personal benefit, or, or, and not just, well, that as well, but also for our intimacy and closeness with God. But was the Holy Spirit not sent after the commission to make disciples? Mm. And it was so it could help, he yeah, could absolutely. help us witness that. Absolutely. Because our gifts seem to be, as well as speaking in tongues and things like that, and prophetic and, and all that, they seem to be very inward. Sure. At, at the, the way that I see them being used, at least. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Paul. And, and I get concerned because, you know, when I look at, at Ephesians 4, where it talks about when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. It's talking about gifts unto men. It's not talking about gifts unto the church. Hmm. And he then talks about different ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And you've got the impression from that scripture that this is, it is for equipping the saints, it is for building people up, but, but it, it's for a church that's looking outward. Yeah. It's for equipping people to evangelize, it's equipping people to pastor, to care. And we, we, we lock those things into the church where, where the Lord's actually trying to liberate them yeah. so that they can be expressed out there in the world. So we need to see more of that. 
So if you had a quick bit of advice for anybody listening who wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, hmm. what would you say to them? Well, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You probably need just to, to keep that in your sights, that this is all about living a more Christ-like life. It's not that the Holy Spirit is given to glorify you. The Holy Spirit is given to glorify Jesus and to glorify the Father. And that's what he wants to do in your life. Mm. So focus on that. Focus on that. And, you know, it's like seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. And it's get the focus right and everything else follows. Great. Thanks, you. Right, well, that's it for our first series of Honest Theology, all about the Trinity. Uh, if you've been listening on iTunes, make sure to uh, give us a rating and leave us a review. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, leave us a comment, like it, share it, all that stuff. Uh, we'll be back soon with a new series, topic yet to be named, but we shall see, and uh, it'll be with Hugh and myself together. In the meantime, take care.